Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook Church. It is so good to have you here with us, and if you're online, a welcome to you as well. Well, I'm Chrissy Thompson, and I am now our Connections Director here at Faithbrook. If you're newer here, there is a blue connection card in the seat pocket in front of you. Would you please fill that out and drop it in the giving box? Or if you're online, you can go to faithbrook.church forward slash connect. And I look forward to following up with you this week and just getting connected with you. Well, I don't know about you, but some of this warmer weather we've been getting has made me crave some barbecue. So I am excited to invite you to our annual Bikes and Barbecue event. It is Tuesday, May 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. And we'd love to have you join us for some barbecue. Adults, you can purchase a meal. Kids, you eat free. Um, And then you're welcome to join us on a ride through um, the park reserve. If you are not up for riding, you can hang here. There'll be activities. And kids, bring your bikes and scooters as well. If you can't do the loop, you're welcome to stay here and do some um, obstacle courses and such. So it'll be a lot of fun. Bring a friend, bring your appetite, be ready for some barbecue, and we look forward to having you join us for that. You can register for this event by going to our Church Center app and click on the Bikes and Barbecue event. Um, It helps us for planning, for all the food and all the fun. So we can't wait to have you join us for our Bikes and Barbecue. Let's now welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we kick off our series, Asking for a Friend. Good to have everyone here today. Thank you for viewing us online. If you're traveling or maybe out of town, welcome to Faithbrook. Welcome to Faithbrook here this morning. It is May. We're excited. I'm Pastor Jim, and uh, there's a lot of things going on in our church. And one of the things that we are really excited about is a new staff team member, Eric Vogel. I'm going to invite him to come on up with us. And uh, he's our new next-gen pastor. Uh, You know at Faithbrook here, it's a big deal for us to... uh, embrace and really invest in our next generation. And uh, Pastor Eric is uh, his first week on the job, and we just wanted to get to know him and his family a little bit. So if we can just get his picture of his family, uh, there they are, Allie and uh, CJ there, their their boy. So why don't you share a little bit about your background uh, and and your family, please? Yeah, it's uh, great to be here, uh, finally be up. And I really appreciate all of you wearing name tags today. Yes. Uh, that was very considerate of all of you, mm-hmm. so thank you. Uh, but uh, I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Chicago in uh, Des Plaines, Illinois. Uh, was there for 18 years and then went down uh, to school at Knox College in Galesburg, uh, where I met my wife, Allie. Uh, we've been married for five years now, uh, and that's our son, CJ. He's uh, six months old. Uh, they're actually still, both of them, in Galesburg right now. Allie is a first-grade teacher, uh, and uh, she's got to finish out the school year, which will take her right up to about Memorial Day, but then she'll be able to come and join all of us up here. And uh, I, I was also a teacher for a few years as well after finishing uh, school at Knox, um, and then I transitioned into a uh, kind of pastoral role in, in working with kids and youth. And then uh, just now I'm, I'm up here and uh, excited to be here, excited to be able to uh, serve with all of you and, and really uh, desiring to help and reach the next generation and for Jesus Christ. And so thank you all for that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And our children's volunteers today are going to have a little meet and greet with you back in the kids' zone after, after the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been asking about how this is going to work. Uh, so C- Chrissy is going to move into our, our part-time connections position. 
She'll be doing a lot of guest services and just trying to connect people. Uh, while Pastor Eric, he's going to be honing in on Sunday morning, especially for children, right? Just our four, three or four different classes, right? Organizing that. And then he's going to be leading the team on Tuesday night for our preteen level up. How many did we have last there was There was 15 there this right. past Tuesday, a, uh, so a good amount of going energy. Going crazy. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. Great for Pastor Eric, <laughs> amen, and his volunteers. Always looking for volunteers, right? And then what happens on Wednesdays? And Wednesday nights, the youth group, uh, right. 7th through 12th grade meets there. That's going to kind of play out through, through May. Well, what would be something uh, people wouldn't know about you, or what, what are your hobbies? Well, uh, I, you know, one of the things I'm working to, I'm hoping to run a marathon probably coming up in October, so I've been training for that. I also uh, did a lot of wrestling. I coached wrestling uh, for uh, seven years down in Galesburg after wrestling at Knox College, and so that, uh, that kept me uh, pretty busy there too. Right, so they bought a little townhouse up in Rogers. He's batching it for a month. So encouraging to help them, and we're looking forward to Allie and CJ being here in a month. So, Me too. Um, yeah, amen. All right. Well, let's welcome Eric, Pastor Eric. Thank you, Pastor. Welcome. Well, we are beginning a new series here at Faithbrook this month called Asking for a Friend. Sometimes there's some touchy, prickly questions that we really just don't want to come out and ask, but, but we'd like to really not know the answer. So we're just kind of asking for a friend, a couple of these issues. For, so next four Sundays, we're going to be touching on some maybe controversial uh, subjects, issues that people really want to know about. Uh, we're going to dive right into the first question that uh, people might want to know about or are wondering about, and that is this question. Why is there so much division between the church and the world? Just asking for a friend, right? Why there just seems to be a lot of friction? It just seems like the world is like, hey, church, you stay over there. You kind of Christian people, right? Sometimes the church seems like the bad guy out in our culture. Uh, there's these tensions. Some, some Christians might even feel like they're targeted, right? And there's this discomfort of, of how we are, we are separated or we're blending into our culture. Where, where does this come from? So we're kind of asking Hey, why is there this friction? Is it the division out there? What's going on? Well, have you ever met someone that had a, a color a deficiency when it comes to their eyesight? They, they call them um, blind or colorblind, that they don't see the same way that you see. I've had an associate one time that's colorblind, and so we would be looking at a pair of shoes or looking at some flower, and we like, what colors do you see? And he would have a, a different uh, shades or colors that he saw, and the rest of us were like, no, we, we, we see whites and, and blues. You don't see that? And he, No, I, I don't see that. I might see black and grays. And, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, we have a different filter. We have some different formatting in our eyes that we see things very differently. Uh, one person said, I found out that I'm colorblind today, and it's becoming a real problem when it comes to traffic lights. Yes, you can see that there might be some challenges right there. And I would suggest to you that a lot of times in our culture today, we, we see things differently and it causes some division, it causes some friction. And the reason we have these is that we all have what we call world views, world views or lenses or filters 
that we see the world from. Somebody described worldview this way. It's a set of basic beliefs, assumptions, and values that shapes and informs your experience of the world and around you. We all kind of need a framework to kind of make sense of decisions and ethics and morality and maybe politics and, and different situations. And before you know it, our worldview, the way we filter things, the way we see things, trickles down to our opinions. It trickles down to our ethics. It different down to our morals and even our politics. How you think about abortion, subjects like euthanasia, uh, same-sex relationships, public education, even economic policies. Uh, what should we do about foreign aid? Should we ever use military force? Uh, what, what, how do we decipher environmental issues? Almost everything in our life is filtered through these worldviews, how we decipher it, how we navigate it, and have an opinion about it. Now, these worldviews that we have a lot of times come from who influenced us. Like growing up, a lot of our worldview came from hopefully our parents. What was their values? What was their opinions? We went to school. We were kind of shaped and, and taught. Uh, maybe it was from our friends. Maybe it was from our, hopefully, ministers spoke into our worldview. Uh, we, we now, as an adult, a lot of times we get our worldview from technology, from podcasts to, to books. Everything kind of feeds into how we think and process all the complicated issues in our world through our worldview. Now, our worldview uh, can be pliable. Uh, we know that sometimes worldviews can be shaped differently as we continue to learn and are curious and, and look. Sometimes for the negative, some would say, uh, that uh, as a child or a teenager, we thought this, we believed this, but I listened to this person, I went to college, and this person uh, kind of um, told me about this, and now I see things differently, how I, I process things. At the same time, we don't always have to be locked in. Uh, sometimes we, we God wants us to maybe be open to, to uh, getting more crystal or being, oh, I never thought about that, how we see the world. Now, a professor of uh, philosophy and sociology at Talbert School of Theology came up, said that he really sees in our culture in America today really three main um, worldviews that are in play in our colleges, to our community, society, etc., he says one of the things that we hear a lot of a worldview is a scientific naturalism, scientific kind of naturalism. Uh, these people uh, really process everything through logic and reason. Uh, they would say that, that um, everything's kind of boiled down to a physical process. They would not see, see anything as a spirit or soul. If you can't boil it down under a microscope and just physically test it, uh, then, then it's really not real. We might use the word uh, a secular, secular thinking or a, a culture. Uh, there's no kind of room for, for uh, spiritualism or mythology. Uh, there, there's, modern science would be their Bible. If you can't prove it and test it, even though a lot of times science can be spun and manipulated to get what we want to, to hear, these would be a scientific naturalism. Hey, nothing goes beyond um, after we die, we're done because we're just a bunch of cells made up um, and, and that's it. That's a secular 
kind of naturalistic view. The second one, probably the most popular, is the postmodern relativism worldview. Uh, the poster child of this would be Oprah, right? She really uh, um, uh, championed this, that all truth and reality is relative to you, what you think in your community. Um, in other words, that's true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me. And uh, we can just all play in the same sandbox. Uh, and this is popular because it's, it feels good. It's kind of politically correct, right? We just be sensitive. And for one to say, I have a higher moral truth or I, I kind of have a locked in uh, spiritual truth and yours might be a little bit wrong or different. That, that really agitates postmodern uh, people. And so we just all blended together, kind of blurred in together. And let's maybe if you have a Christian worldview, then they might say, well, that's not allowed. And uh, uh, you're not up to par with us. So there's that uh, worldview. And then the third one is more of a historical Christian worldview. Uh, people have a Christian historical uh, worldview, uh, believe that, they, I, that there is a God and God is real. Uh, these people would believe that God did create our universe and there are moral laws. Uh, there is a transcendent truth that kind of overrides everyone else's truth, that there's this one God and he uh, set the standards for our law and our life. And by the way, we're kind of obligated to live up to those standards. And so there's some boundaries, there's some rules. Um, we, we would use the word a biblical worldview uh, for people who have a Christian uh, thinking and filter in their mind, in their, their heart, a biblical worldview. They would start with like the 10 commandments that God says, hey, don't have any other gods except for me, I'm the one. Monotheism, I'm one God, right? And he would say there's other rules uh, laws like do not steal, do not cheat, do not kill, do not um, you know, uh, commit adultery and be envious. And so there's these standards that all kind of filter through for a biblical worldview. And then all of a sudden you start realizing there's some contrasts. There are some differences. And before you know it, there's some, some tension and maybe division. Say, hey, we, we don't see things the same way. And there's some clashes. Many times, there's examples that we see in culture. We'll see, I don't know, with friends or professors or, or, or different people, for instance, who will just kind of plays out in some examples I want to give you this morning. Here's one that, that it's more of a me-centered versus God-centered. Uh, me-centered versus God-centered. I think growing up in America, one of the things that's really pushed is that you are the center of the world, and the most important value is for your happiness, not God's happiness, your, God, your, your happiness. So everything kind of revolves around you, a me-centered kind of outlook of life. While a biblical worldview, Christians, they would say, oh, no, no it's more of a, a God-centered, that, that God is the most important in, entity in our life, and we need to be sensitive to that and, and maybe follow that, right? But the world is kind of like, no, it's you. You, you are God, right? You, you do it your way. I think Frank Sinatra said it well in the 60s, that popular song that sung, I did it my way. In other words, I'm God. I don't need the other God. Me-centered versus God-centered. Now, this kind of carries over into thinking that can sometimes be different. And that thinking is more of a temporal thinking versus an eternal thinking. So one of the oddities of a lot of Christians, biblical 
kind of people, it's like, oh, we're, we're living for the long run here. This thing lasts forever, like eternity. Rather, more of a uh, humanistic approach, it's like, oh, it's me and my life right now. I'm not sure what happens when we die, but uh, 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 we just live for today. And whatever this life we can maximize and fun and pleasures and finances. That's what it is. But a lot of Christians are like, oh, no, I, I know what I do today. It's just a warm-up for the next life. And, and in fact, we're going to meet God according to the, the Bible, and, and there's going to be a judgment. And so how I live is going to make a difference of, of consequences, either heaven or hell. And so a lot of times there's like, you believe that? Well, do you believe that? And, and there's going to be this division. The Apostle Paul and Colossians said, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. So right there, it's like, oh, we kind of have different values. We're kind of playing a different time span here. Uh, also, along with that thinking, you see that there's kind of thinking about to, to be served or to serve others. To be served. So in a, it's a lot of times in a more of a secular, humanistic culture, it's about I need to be served my rights. And then you'll run into these Christian people and they're like, you know, our highest value is to serve others. The question's asked, well, do non-Christian type of people, do they serve others? Absolutely. There's a lot of non-believing, maybe agnostic type of people do a, do a lot of tremendous good work for humanity. Uh, they care about their neighbors. Um, but the difference is, is that the, the agenda or the purpose behind it is different. So a secularist would try to say, well, I need to help my neighbor because it helps me. It fulfills me personally, and it might make my life quality go up. I want to help others. While a Christian person would say, you know, this is the heart of God. We, he served us. We talked about going to the cross. Uh, we want to follow him. And so we want to serve our fellow man. We, when we, we read his word, all of a sudden it starts kind of transforming us. It convicts us. We start looking like at just take, for instance, the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. So a lot of biblically world type thinking people is like, it's about God's will, not my will. Uh, we look at Jesus when Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve others. So for people who are following Christ, we, we read that. It's like, well, that means we need to be like Jesus. And so we're not here to say, what's my rights? What do I get? But how can I help you? How can I serve you if we're trying to live authentically and mimic Christ? Before you know it, this worldview uh, was super popular in the world. I think uh, through the ages, a majority of uh, the population of the world were Christ followers at, at one time, and the church of Jesus Christ and different denominations, et cetera, just kind of flourished and it, it, it came over to America. And just you know, 50, 60 years ago, a lot of Americans were showing up to church on Sunday mornings and following Jesus in some capacity, right? And, and the church uh, became the greatest force for good in the world, especially coming out of America. It was the Christian people that really had this compassion to go overseas and to help and, and compassionate ways and needy, needy ways for missionaries to, to just emergency efforts, right? It's the greatest, it still is the greatest force in the world of helping and caring for people because we know it has an eternal impact. We know that this is the conviction that comes from Jesus who modeled it, right? And even, I would submit to you, carries over into our citizenship here in, in America. 
Uh, we have seen some evolution in just the mindset of Americans that play into our worldview. Uh, for instance, in the 60s, there was a president, uh, John F. Kennedy, and, in, and on his inauguration, he said these words to the nation. He says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And so a lot of Christians were like, yes, that resonates with me because that's kind of the heart of Christ. It's not me-centered. It's not my right-centered. It's like, let's pick up, be responsible, pay your taxes. How can we be a good citizen? And, blah, blah. and, and through the years, we don't hear that much anymore. We don't hear politicians say, hey, what can you do for your country? Politicians say, vote for me, and our country will help you. And before you know it, this, this, this patriotic, maybe a unifying mindset is kind of broken down to more of an individual, individualism kind of mindset. It's about me, my identity, my rights, and I don't know about everybody else, but everyone needs to come to me. And so we have this tension sometimes to just how we view things, how we, how we uh, decide things in, in our life. Now, another kind of example of this division, the difference of a mindset is, is self-sufficiency versus God-dependent. Self-sufficient versus God-dependent. So a lot of times in our culture today, it's highly regarded to be self-sufficient. Who needs God? Who needs to go to church, right? Look how talented humans are, especially us. We are very educated. We are very smart. We have sent men to the moon. Now we're getting close to maybe sending someone to Mars, right? We have solved all kinds of diseases and problems, our technology. In fact, our computer sciences has just escalated us. Now we have this artificial intelligence that they say that's even smarter than, than humans. So why would we need this invisible kind of God out there? Come on now. We can solve all our problems for our humanistic resources and talents, but the, the biblical Christian person over there saying, no, we, we still need God for the deeper levels of things in our life. So sometimes this, this arrogance maybe of this self-sufficient, we can figure it out, we're, we're humans, we don't need God, plays out even in the climate a change a debate out there. A lot of people's like, hey, we can figure this out. We can even change the whole global weather if we just all pull together. We're just that kind of smart who needs God. That sometimes this spills over to our politics, right? That a lot of times, you know, we just need better government. We just need better laws. We can legislate laws and morality and get our culture from killing each other and discriminating against each other. We just need more sophisticated politicians, and, and we can figure it out. And the government continues to, to continue to grow. However, we underlining all this, we still see a dilemma in our society, Every morning we are waking up to killings and crimes and abuses and people taking advantage of others and hate and, and this deterioration of just the, the, the morality of our, our country. And, and when's the last time that a politician said, you know, maybe it's not just legislation. It's not, maybe it's just not money. Maybe it's just not laws. Maybe there, there's, a, there's a, a, a morality or spiritualism that needs to be revived. We used to talk about that, uh, you know, 70 years ago in America because those preachers were talking about it and they were talking 
talking about God's morality and God's standards. And a lot of times there's a clash right there. It's like, ah, you know, that's out of date, man. What are you talking about? We're, we're sophisticated enough. Uh, we, we don't need God to bail us out. We didn't need to go back to that old foolish book. And by the way, that, that book can be very discriminating and, and hurtful to people. So just throw it away, right? And so all of a sudden we're, we're just kind of feeling kind of cast out. And, and when it comes to salvation of our society, maybe God does have something to say. Maybe, maybe the Ten Commandments about those boundaries and those standards, hey, don't cheat. Don't, don't murder people. Don't steal from people. Don't commit adultery. Hey, children, obey and honor your parents. How, how, how about that, right? So that's that worldview that a lot of times we look for. Sometimes there's a clash and a division. Of, of more of a, a feelings-based truth versus a transcendent truth. Uh, so it's very popular today to really kind of go with our feelings versus our principles or some transcendent truth that's higher than our feelings because uh, feelings are real. And how I feel about myself, I should have the right, and I want to feel good about myself, and so I'm going to make these decisions, and this is how I view life. It's kind of a, a feelings uh, thinking. Well, how does that work? How does that play out? Uh, Several years ago, my wife was teaching our teenagers, and so she was kind of talking about this, and she says, you know, there is a truth of God in the Bible, like it or not, right? Some things are kind of a high-level expectation, doesn't always feel good. Should we go with God's truth, or should we go with uh, our feelings, right? And Let's raise your hand, right? Some, some kids raise their hand. One teenage girl is like, I think we need to go by our feelings because my feelings, I'm really sincere about my feelings and I feel good about them. She's like, oh, well, I'm sure your feelings are, are validated, true, but if we, well, do you think your feelings are the same as that person over there, his feelings, his convictions, or that person's over there? So the question is, whose feelings do we go by? Yours, theirs, you know, and before we know, we got a group think over here and a group think over here and could it be that all of a sudden that you, you got some clashing and you got some um, hurt and war and, and problems? Could it be that God's like, hey, I have something that's bigger and better and more divine than your feelings for this year, this century, that can change and fluctuate, right? What if I had a transcendent truth that says, well, it's bigger than humanity. It's bigger than the preacher's opinions or your parents' opinions, but it's, something, it's greater. It's God's truth. They can help society in all things. See, God, I would submit to you, offers a transcendent truth with, with life-giving boundaries and some standards that he has for everyday life, from our relationships, how we treat each other, uh, who we honor, from our justice and mercy and compassion, even human sexuality, The Bible has some wonderful truths and boundaries that help us to thrive in life and even as a society. I love what Jesus said when he tried to dispense this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Follow me. I am the way. I have life-giving truth, a framework that explains things in life. Why is there so much crime? Why is there so much jealousy? Why is it uh, things happen and, and hurt and, and problems? Uh, Jesus and his word helps have some truths that can benefit us. Now, sometimes it doesn't solve everything. I've been on this journey just kind of figure out things, and, and I, I interact with uh, people, and I uh, check out the politics and the headlines, and, and sometimes I, I've been confused about 
even uh, people who are reading the same Bible and singing the same Sunday songs, sometimes they view um, incidences in our culture differently. They might even vote differently than I do. And that always confused me until this wise person helped me figure this out. And I want to offer this to you. Maybe you never thought about this. But this helped me just kind of understand some of the dynamics in our culture and in humanity today. For instance, this person says a lot of times, this is what it boils down to. Some people make decisions on what is weak versus strong, and other people make decisions on right versus wrong. And what he meant by that is that good people on both sides, some will say, you know what? That group of people have a lot of privilege. They have, they're strong, they're resourceful. But these people on here, man, they, they're hurting. They're marginalized and they're poor and they're suffering. So whatever we vote on, whatever decisions, because they're, they're weak, they get ahead of the group and they get a pass and it's okay because they're weak. You are strong. It's okay. Okay, weak goes first. Now over here, we're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Some of that stuff is wrong. Right? Some of that is wrong. Yet you can't do that. And because their filter and their paradigm, they're just like, hey, it's, it's right versus wrong. It's not so much compassion, right? And you got resources. like the rules say that that's illegal and wrong and stuff. Uh, you take, for instance, one of the, the hot buttons today is the southern border, right? And you can see this play out very, you can go to maybe even church, people watching today, maybe even here. Some of you would say, well, those, those poor people, man, I mean, they're suffering. They're starving down there in Central America. No wonder they're coming to America. And, and some people say, yeah, but we have some laws and rules, and there's a boundary, and you've got to get in line. It's like, and they would say, oh, yes, but you understand that we need to have compassion. We have to have mercy. And they will find scriptures, and there's scriptures talk about care for the marginalized. Seek justice and mercy. Jesus was very adamant about that. And other scriptures about uphold those who are poor. What are we doing about the poor? What are we doing about the people that are weak and suffering? Jesus definitely, God cares about this. But at the same time over here, we got, we got verses in the Bible that says, hey, there, there's some rules, right? We don't cheat. We, do, we don't lie. We don't justify, right? Apostle Paul talks about, I want to have a clear conscience before God. I want to have a clear conscience about man. The scriptures talk about civil laws and, and do what needs to be the laws. And so we have this, this tension sometimes. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it sometimes. You'll even see people that really are wired or gifted with compassion and mercy. They will kind of side over here and they will make their decisions and their votes because that's how they filter it. They're like, Oh, you guys are strong, but we need to be an advocate for the weak. And so we're okay if some rules are bent, whatever, because they're, they're weak, right? And others who are kind of made up, and they're highly responsible people. They're rule followers, right? They're just like, how dare you? That's not right. You have to understand it is right versus wrong. And man, there's some clashes. There's just that nuance, that, we, that tension that we have to deal with in our life. Or hopefully, this kind of answers the question, why is there a division between the world and the church? It really comes down to our worldview. The better question I want to submit to you today is what do we do about it? How do we navigate in a world that has different worldviews and different convictions out there? If we claim to be Christ followers, we even have a, a biblical worldview, how do we deal with this? Well, some would say, you know what we need to do? We need a war against culture. 
I need my preacher to call out the bad people out there. They're infecting our kids. You need to preach against it, man. We need a protest. We need a boycott. We need to be loud against it. Some are like, you know, I'm really scared because we just seem to be marginalized and going backwards as Christians. And we need to really just circle the wagons and get in our bunker. Because you never know what the world and Hollywood and, and culture, and, and, and tell you, man, it's kind of tempting to do that, right? It seems like a lot of times if, if, you're, if you're holding a biblical worldview, you're, you're kind of like the minority in America today, right? And it is kind of tempting to say, man, where, where is that bunker? Because, man, we're not seen as, as maybe the good guys anymore, but we're kind of seen as the bad guys, right? Just kind of group up. But as I continue to read the Bible in all its context, I'm like, well, how did Jesus handle his culture? Did Jesus and in the first century Christians, were they in a Christian culture, right? Did they have the home court advantage? No. So how did he do it? Well, what I've noticed and read is that Jesus handled everything through the filter of grace and truth. Grace and truth. He, he navigated that. He walked with that. In fact, there's a place in Matthew 10 where he says, okay, disciples, if you're going to follow me, guys, I need you to do the same thing. So here's your mission. I'm going to be sending you out into that big, bad culture. They don't have the same worldview. They don't believe in me. They don't really care about me, love me at all, but I need you to get out there and be salt and light. Here you go. Well, Matthew recorded what he said to them in chapter 10, starting with verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Here you go. Here's how I want you to do. As you go, I want you to proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I want you to heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What is he saying to them? What is he saying to us? He's saying, man, serve them. Be generous. Love them. People are hurting. People are sick, right? Um, Get out there and, and be salt in life and love those people. And sometimes that's intimidating. Well, they don't think like us. And, and, and they don't love the Jesus I love. And they do things and say things that, that offend me. And how do we deal with that? Well, God says, man, let, let's be generous. Freely you have been given. Be strong. Get out there and, and, and engage. I'll, I'll never forget I had a, a wonderful conversation with a neighbor a couple of years ago. His uh, son was hanging out with my son. Came over and, and we invited him in. They were sitting on our living room. And I didn't know him very well. But, you know, they, they looked like us. Lived in our neighborhood, right? Surely we had the same values. And maybe we had the same worldview. I don't know. So, of course, we talked about schools. And some of the stuff was happening in the schools. And, you know, the, the conflicts in our society. You know, next thing you know, we're talking about what's the source of, of this. Well, he's like, I, you know, the source is the environment. Environment of these kids have been modeled and taught to do bad, basically. And I was like, really? Wow. Yeah. I, I said, yeah, I, I understand that. Sometimes there's some poor parenting, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're allowing their kids to watch this and do that. And that can infect a kid and his behavior and all that kind of stuff. And we got a little bit deeper. And, and uh, I was like, you know, a lot of times I think sometimes is we got to teach our kids to do good. And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, I, I, I think that there's just a, a bent towards humanity, humans, that the default is for us to be selfish. We're just kind of born that way. You know, a lot of times you don't have to teach your kids to, to share or to be selfish. The, the kids just naturally like, I want that, right? Or get me that. And we have to teach them to be generous. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them not to lie. Uh, because our nature is to lie and do the easiest thing and be about us. And, and he's like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. He said, I believe that the default to human is to be good. We just automatically be good. 
And it's, it's something outside of their heart that teaches them to be bad. It's, it's an influence. It's a model to be bad. If we didn't have those poisoning those kids, they would be perfectly fine and humanity would be fine. I'm thinking to myself, wow, we, we have a difference, right? So he has a different worldview. And we were kind and polite, but right there was like, oh, okay. Well, how do I think that? Why did I think that? Well, I, I think experience is that even myself, you know, left alone, I'm going to go bent to selfish gym, right? I need Jesus and his word to say, no, don't go there, right? I, I have a much better life when I don't go there, but he's not reading the Bible I'm reading. And so he has a different influence in his life. But there was an engagement. There was a conversation. We're still friends today. And uh, that's what God's talking about. Get out there, engage, serve your community. But sometimes that tension can raise to a cost, that there is some cost. And Jesus also shared this with his disciples and his instructions. He continued, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Whoa, that, that's not too exciting. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. That, that never feels good either. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, oh, we're, we might get arrested. Uh, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it's not you you will be speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Ah, what did Jesus want them to get a hold of here? A lot of things, but one of the things he wanted to give them some hope that you will not be alone because sometimes we have to stand our ground. Sometimes we have to say, this is the truth. And you might think I'm a hater. You might think I'm wrong, whatever. But when we're, the press comes in, sometimes God says, my spirit's going to show up. I got your back. Um, Jesus would encourage his disciples and say, you know what? I'm never going to leave you. I will be with you to the end of the age. And some of you are environments in your family, in your schools, in your corporations, right? And you feel like you're the, like the only maybe biblical worldview follower, right? The, the, the real, maybe true Christian, right? And sometimes the pressure's on you. Well, Jesus says, man, my spirit is hovering around you. And you ever get called on the carpet, uh, I'm going to be there to help you have the words and to navigate that and process the best you can. Now, when you continue to read the Bible, a lot of times we don't read the Bible, right? Sometimes the Bible can scare us because you go to 2 Timothy, he says, hey, hang on, things are going to get worse. In fact, Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, I don't know if you've read this passage before, but I want you to ask yourself as you read this, is this happening in our culture today? Do we see this? Uh, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Hey, no, we're not having a civil conversation. Nope, it's canceled. You're over there. I'm over here. No way. Malicious gossips. Without self-control, hey, whatever I feel like I'm just going to do, right? Brutal and haters of good. Jesus like, man, be on your guard. This stuff is out there in our community, and it's coming in the last days. Well, that should alarm us a little bit. So how do we 
deal with this? Where do we go with this? Well, can I give you a couple things? A couple things how to navigate. Maybe in your setting, your school, your family. Hey, what, what should I do? I want to encourage you to be wise and strong. Be wise and strong. Jesus said, be shrewd as snakes. Do you know how snakes maneuver, right? They just don't come knocking on the door, right? Uh, a lot of times you just kind of come up on a snake and you're like, whoa, I didn't know you were there, right? Because they're just kind of slimmering around and their tongue's out. And that tongue is out because it's just kind of taking readings, noticing, listening. They're not loud. They're not proud. He says, be wise as snakes. Be abreast of things. Love people. You don't have to just be this obnoxious, dogmatic preacher person, right? Hey, but you got to be alert. Be on your guard. What's happening? And you got to have some fortitude, right? Because the, the, the headwinds against this biblical thinking Christianity is there. But be strong. Be, be wise. Read up. Um, when's the last time you looked at some what we call apologetics? The apologetics is just reasoning to back our faith. It's just not an emotional thing. It's a mysterious thing. There is uh, archaeological evidence, scientific evidence, and by the way, we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. Is Christianity compatible with science? Asking for a friend. Is it, is it true? Uh, for me, uh, I read some books. Uh, there's, there's agencies or ministries like Stand the Reason. I would encourage you to get that app. I got another app on my phone I was introduced to called Cross Examine. These are videos. These are podcasts about, hey, how do we uh, respond to people who uh, don't believe in our faith and our religion? Is there anything that gives logic or evidence to stand the reason or to when we're cross-examined? But when we are cross-examine, let us uh, be reasonable, calm, right? Assured by the Holy Spirit. The second thing I, I think we can do is to live such good lives, or to be, I'm sorry, courageous, authentic lives. To live authentically. All it needs for you to be disqualified is not to live like Jesus. There's already going to be some pressure. You're already going to be under the microscope. But man, when we don't live like Jesus, people notice that. And it just disqualifies our argument right away, that we're just kind of hypocrites. So Christ is asking us to live an authentic, surrendered life to him in our context where we're out there. I appreciate what 1 Peter 2 says, live such good lives among pagans <laughs> that though they accuse you of doing wrong, oh, you Christians, you are so narrow-minded and judgmental, right? They accuse you of doing all kinds of wrong. We get a lot of times, uh, we get a lot of um, negative feedback, Right? but that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. We've got to ask yourself, I can't control their thinking, their worldview, but I've got to control myself. Am I doing good deeds? Am I serving people? Am I loving people? I try my best to say, man, don't, don't, I'm not going to let the person on the other side out love me. There's a lot of love out there, right? You Christians, you don't love people. Yes, we, we love people, Right? And no matter how many arrows come my way and how many derogatory remarks and you're this and this, I'm still going to love you because Christ loved me. And because Christ, I can be secure in Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to just love and serve. So hopefully they'll say, you know, that comfort guy, even though I don't believe what he believes and I think he's wrong, man, he seems to love me. And sometimes the church, to be honest with you, we don't love very well, 
right? We don't take the time to go to our neighbor and say, how are you doing? Maybe you need uh, uh, some cookies or, or something. Uh, maybe in our communities, are we helping the poor? Are we helping the marginalized? What are we doing about uh, uh, kids that don't have parents or homeless, things like this? What are we doing? That we mobilize ourselves so they say, man, those people did some good deeds. And, and that person lives such a good life, I think they're sincere. I might even keep watching and maybe be influenced by them. Jesus knew the times would be tough sometimes to have a biblical worldview. In fact, 2,000 years ago, he's praying at the end of his ministry. In John 17, we call it the high priestly prayer. And he's praying for himself because he's about to face the cross. He's also praying for the disciples who have been following them, that he's leaving behind in the secular society. But he's also praying for you and me. And this is what he prays. Knowing that we'll be going through some clashes and some tension in our culture, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. See, Jesus is not saying, man, let's get into our bunker, let's run away, right, and exit our culture. He says, but I I pray that you protect them from the evil one. Um, There is a source out there that wants to deceive us, break us down, discourage us. They are not of the world, he says, even though I'm not of it. So if you claim to be a Christ follower... You know, God wants us in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't think like the world a lot of times. This makes us odd sometimes. This makes us like different, right? We think eternally. We think kingdom versus self, 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 and just the immediate. They are not of the world, even though I'm not of. Sanctify them by the truth. The word sanctified means set them apart. Cover them with my blood and my love that they know the word and your word is the truth. The word is the Bible. So friends, uh, just, just a little thing right here is that it's not about my opinion, right? It's not about another pastor's opinion or your opinion. It's about God's opinion. And never in this church should anybody be up here preaching or sharing without the word of God. That's the standard. We might exhort it. We might try to explain it, right? But if we get away from God's truth, sanctified by truth, then we're just back to our feelings and our opinions. So we hold on to the truth, he says, as I sent them into the world, I have sent them into the world. You know, what, what I get encouraged about is many of you are in the world. I, I some degree, I, I work here in this little church bunker, right? There's not a lot of different world people walking through this church, right? But you are out there in the schools. You're out there in the workplace, in the marketplace. And probably the majority of you are not the majority of the worldview. Right? A lot of them have a secular worldview. A lot of them have a, a more a relativism, a modern, postmodern worldview. And you're trying to navigate this and love people. And then there's, there's these issues of behaviors and thoughts and politics and agitations, right? And, and here you're all in the middle of it. And you say, man, why is there so much problem? Better yet, how do I manage this? Well, I want to encourage you to practice what Jesus did. That Jesus handled his world, and his culture with these two things of grace and truth. Grace and truth. There might be a family member or a lot of family members that don't think like you do, believe in you do. Handle them with grace and truth. Doesn't mean that we compromise, that we're going to stand the reason, we're going to stand on the truth of God, and there's reasons why we stand, right? And we might take some bullets. We may take some hardships and ostracize, right? But at the same time, We're always going to love. We're not there to judge people. We're not to point fingers and preach to people, right? We're to give grace. We were all there one time, and God gave grace to us. 
And so we're going to serve in love without compromising the truth. And this takes prayer. This takes the Holy Spirit. This takes focus to say, God, I need your help to walk in this world with different worldviews, with grace and love at the same time to divine transcendent truth. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we do that very thing of closing out with prayer. Thank you for your attention today. Thank you for watching us today as we are asking for a friend, really asking for ourselves. So let's, let's pray together. Gracious God, for some of us, it's a challenge to stand our ground in a world that's not really in love with you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us stay calm, stay holy, stay authentic in our world. Help us to live authentic, surrendered, Christ-like lives. Help us to have some reason behind our faith. But more importantly, help us to let people see our love and care for them. No matter their opinions, no matter their politics, no matter what they say or do, God. But you, we would love them as you loved us. And we pray, God, that, that the influence uh, would come to our children, to our teenagers, to, to adults, God. That, that we would have a worldview that kind of lines up with your holy worldview that gives life, it gives love and security and hope for all things from our personal lives to our society. Help us to do that with, with grace and truth. And we ask it in the Holy Spirit's power and name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen.